Hi, and welcome to The Theology Box, a podcast dedicated to seeing how God fits into the world we live in. We hope you enjoy your time with us today, where theology is the conversation. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on The Theology Box. This is William Carroll, and today on the show we have Megan Napier. 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 And today... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Megan is a, a seminary student at Azusa Pacific University. Uh, it's, she just finished her first year and um, is originally from Korea, but grew up in Oregon, Hawaii, Korea, and anywhere else that you spent time growing up? Well, you were. Well, I really grew up in Korea. Yeah, but I think every place kind of influences who we are a little bit. That's true. So it would be Korea and uh, I I finished high school in Hawaii. So I I spent Mm. about two years there. And then I went off to college in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Did you you spend time in Oregon? So I would travel back and forth between Oregon and Vermont during like the vacation. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not a lot, but some. But some, yeah. My family's in Oregon. So that's why I spent like vacations there a lot throughout my childhood cool and why did you choose to uh join apu besides influences <laughs> from outside what were your own reasons um so i was debating between a few different seminaries one was in korea two here in california um i think part of it has just to do with like i wanted a change um i wanted to be like in a different location because i had spent like about 12 years in korea and then I went and visited two different seminaries here in California. And I don't know, as I was driving towards APU, the, I just fell in love with the mountains. And then as I was going around APU with my uh, admissions counselor, I just fell in love with the place. And mm. so I decided, uh, and I also kind of felt like God's blessing was on it too, as I was praying and thinking about it. And so I chose APU to attend seminary. That's Interesting. A lot of people, uh, I've been reading some articles that a lot of people are thinking the opposite, that APU has lost its way. <laughs> I've read some articles. I was looking Aww. up I was looking up something from uh, online. I don't remember why, um, but it was, it had something to do with like APU has lost its way. Oh, oh, I remember. Because uh, they just picked the, the verse or something they're the first that they're going to focus on for the year mm-hmm. and they send an email even to the alumni mm. and uh one of it it was like kind of like this response of like you know people have been thinking we've lost you know our center or mm. whatever so but no I, I i agree with you i think it's like god's favor is on apu as well as several other christian schools but i think apu falls under the umbrella of um a school that really loves god and um it's not it's not like a christian only type of school mm-hmm. like um you know anybody from any walk of life can attend APU um well if you pass the admission process which, <laughs> uh i knew quite a few people that weren't christians that were uh, APU students yeah so. and i i could definitely say in the last year with the classes that i've taken and the professors that i've met like they are definitely people who love Jesus and pursue God and that experience is and and there's there's just so much grace there and and it's not just about like oh like 
I don't know. It's it's not about cheap cheapening grace and like, oh, I'm going to turn in my homework late all the time. It's not about that. It's um I think what I've definitely experienced in this last year with APU has been just an amazing time um, with the professors that I've met and the classes that I've taken. It's very much Christ-centered and very much about God, um, but still trying to pursue academic excellence. Uh, but at the same time, um, the professors really do recognize what grace is. Um, and so, you know, they, they meet you where you're at, but they're also still there to push you uh, towards excellence. And so I think it's a great academic environment in that. So, mm. yeah, I don't think APU has lost its way, and, and at least from my perspective. Yeah. Well, uh, this was concerning, like, um, things about, like, um, <laughs> this was concerning things about, like, um, the there's, like, this clause about homosexuality and whether or not you can have be in an openly homosexual relationship mm. and, and be on campus. Yeah. And uh, so I think they took out the wording that made it specifically banned mm. and made it ambiguously banned by like kind of barring any type of sexual relationship that's on campus. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's that's more of the focus, not so much like whether it's happening in seminary with people not loving God. God. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, that's it's it's good to hear that. Like you know, that was my experience with APU too. Is that like if some professors are not super gracious that way, but they um, but I think they're in the minority, and it's not so much like the quality of the work can um be poor and still get a good grade it's more that like you're saying like if, if I have to turn in something late and I can explain why or at least communicate that with the professor then they'll give me the grace to turn it in as long as the work that comes in at the end of it is I, I guess you could kind of say worth the wait mm. but you know um, yeah they're very understanding in that uh, general sense so what um do you want to talk about anything about any of your experiences that you've had? Mainly what I'm trying to get at eventually is the women in the Bible class <laughs> and what you feel your calling is <coughs> to beca because you want to be a pastor, right? Yeah. Um, that's why I decided to attend seminary is I feel like God's calling me to um, be a pastor to help shepherd his people. Uh, I felt this calling when I was in Korea as I was uh, part of a ministry there, an English ministry uh, in Seoul. And yeah, um, this past semester actually, so like, as you mentioned, I was taking uh, Women in the Bible and uh, Church History. Actually, it was a longer title than that. But <laughs> anyways, it was just basically focusing on women and their roles uh, throughout um, history. And I also took a class on forgiveness where we also got to go out to a prison and uh, be, meet with um, the men uh, there at the prison and just talk about forgiveness and just kind of hash out, you know, what is forgiveness and, and what does it mean to us and how do we walk it out? And so, I mean, those two classes alone this past semester were just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, they really helped form like more about what I think about forgiveness. I still don't, 
I can't wrap my mind around exactly what fragrance is still yet, but it's definitely helped me to like form it a little bit more. Um, and I think it's supposed to be an ongoing process. And the women in the Bible class has definitely helped me to really recognize like how hard it's been for women <laughs> to try and be in the pastoral field. Um, and actually, it really did help open my eyes because I didn't realize, I've always heard about women having a hard time trying to break into fields and not just the pastoral position. It's been something that women's, women have had to deal with for a very long time. Um, but in, in specifically within the church, I didn't realize like how hard and difficult it was. And so that was really eye-opening. Um, and I, I appreciate um, more now the path that I'm on. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know if it's going to still be that difficult with the stories that I've heard. Um, but if anything, I, I do feel a lot more confidence and I feel, yeah, like I, I need to be that more assertive and also thankful to the women's, uh, to the women in the past who've really helped pave the way. And mm. hopefully I can continue to pave the way if I need to. Um, because I've definitely haven't felt that much resistance, at least in uh, the ministries that I've been involved in. But yeah, and, and um, yeah, that's that's one of the things that because we talked about this the the prior week coming up to today is that I've mentioned it to you several times that we'll kind of talk about this, and uh, you've you've said that you haven't really experienced that that much resistance, and that that kind of surprised me. Not because, um, I mean, it's good. It's a good surprise, mm -hmm. right? But um, even in my own experience, and I'm, you know, not being a woman and not even feeling called to uh, leadership, I've definitely heard a lot of things, um, people mainly from the argument argument that women shouldn't be pastors. Um, I, I, I've heard that basically from maybe not from first becoming a Christian because mostly I wasn't thinking about that kind of stuff mm. but um you know it, it comes up and I, I think that coming from a small town there's um definitely more um resistance to things that are not traditional right so um being a a, a female pastor like it wouldn't even be considered an option at the churches that I that I attended and I don't know if it would be against principle. Um, so Calvary Chapel, that would that was the first church I attended. Um, there, like, I don't know if, um, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a female pastor in charge at Calvary because they're very uh, fundamental mm. um, and they take scripture very literally. There are some theological differences in our approaches to scripture and I think I think it's um, one of the divisions in the church is how literal do you take the particular passages that you find to be the most meaningful. Mm. And I mean, you have six day creationists that take it super literally that this is six days. Um, but, you know, the uh, the lamb with seven eyes, that's just a representation mm. of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's like. But are you sure? Because if the Bible's literal, then Jesus is seven lampstands. Mm. You know, but he's not. Right, and but it also. But he is. Right, and also <laughs> comes is. down to translations too, and whatnot. Translations are yeah, big meaningful differences uh, there as well. Um, but you know that 
that kind of uh, interpretive principle of like if it seems that it should be fundamentally true then we take it literally uh people will always disagree on what we think should be fundamentally true mm-hmm. um you know do we still kill people for you know having tattoos right yeah oh wait no 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 of course not no <laughs> yeah so um you know not to get too much into to that part of the debate but since i mentioned calvary chapel and i kind of gave him a little knock i wanted to at least explain myself um <laughs> and then even but even at the community church that i went to up there uh i don't think i've seen a, a female pastor but they are part of the christian missionary alliance mm-hmm. and i have no idea what their um affiliation is i think they are their own affiliation mm. i think it has something to do with the canary guy is it william canary i'm sorry i'm not really familiar mm. you'll find out okay probably in church history too all right um he he's kind of the one that kind of developed the approach to how we evangelize to international communities. Mm. I think that's his name. This is where I should fact check before the show. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or have somebody fact checking during the show. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Having a producer would be good. Yeah. Yeah. It would be helpful. Um, But I don't. So um, I I was actually thinking about it. That's too much of a side trail, but um, yeah. So, back to the point the idea of women in ministry has always seemed like something that is outside of um the scope of the role that women have or should have and then you have scriptural support for it right with um what paul says in his letters if you take it at face value um well it's not just about ministry, though. I think we do embrace women. Uh, I guess it depends on how you I'm define sorry, ministry. I meant, I meant as lead pastor. Leslie, right? yeah. Lead pastor sorry. is the most controversial. Whereas, you know, we do embrace women as Bible study teachers and, you know, children's uh, ministry leaders. But I think it's it's that pastor title that's the most controversial for people. Mm. And I think it, I mean, even with denominations that embrace women leaders, um, it just seems to be... Yeah, they're open to it. They're willing to um, raise up women, but I think it has more to do with also familiarity and the comfort level of it too. Because you know, throughout history, we've kind of restricted women from that role. So as we're entering into it now, we're actually finding this discomfort and um, what's the right word? Unfamiliarity with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Am I using the right word? Okay. Seems um, okay. And so I think even if you do have this lead woman pastor up front at the pulpit, because people aren't used to it, I think there's still that friction there. Um, We embrace it ideologically, but we're still trying to get comfortable with it. I think Mm -hmm. that's really where the issue lies Um, outside of uh, people who, you know, believe, no, women can't be pastors. I think for those who do think that they're still trying to find a comfort level with it. Yeah. I think that's kind of the weird thing too, is that, um, so yeah, even though you find it traditionally, it's like a no, um, through, cause we both took the women in the Bible class, which is what we're, um, what you referenced earlier with Karen Winslow. Yes. And so she kind of gave me a lot of the ideas that I have 
um, that support the idea of women in ministry. By the time I took the class, I was already open to it because I just, you know, I'm a lot of the traditions that the church holds are totally um, biased towards, well, this is just the way we've always done it or the way we've always understood it. So anything that like kind of breaks that down uh, for me is a big, not not necessarily always a big plus, but it's definitely going to help me open my my mind to it mm-hmm. because um, the topics for a different show, but there's, you know, just even the idea of um, Calvinism versus Arminianism and you have these two classical theologies fighting each other. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe either one of those are true. But <laughs> the... But but it takes that step away from like, just because the whole group is saying it, and you don't agree with it, doesn't mean that you've become a heretic. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible that everybody else has been involved in heresy, without realizing it. Um, and maybe that's a strong word as well. Mm. But um, the 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 errors that come from tradition, um don't need to necessarily be um kept in stone so the uh, anyway the the idea about um women in, in ministry and the women in the bible class i think especially today when you have um so much breaking down of gender norms mm-hmm. and um there's a lot of fear in what what i guess you could call like binary people you know, and I'm, I'm a white cisgender male, and I think you'll find most white hetero- heterosexual males are that. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, there's definitely certain, you know, the the certain portion of the population is, um, you know, homosexual, and a certain portion of the population, actually, the majority of people are not white, and I, technically, I'm not even totally white, um, but as far as like my background um i think if you look at it from let me restart that thought but so like the idea of a a binary system of gender i'm not saying that i believe fully in like um that you are the gender that you feel Mm -hmm. right like I, i do think there are some limitations to how far we go with that idea um, although what, what I think is that there's, there's a certain breakdown between what gender is and what, uh, sex as far as, um, not orientation, but like who you are, male or female. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could be male and, and be involved with the plane with, of like dolls mm-hmm. or, um, if you want to go so far, even wearing dresses or, you know, feeling comfortable in that kind of clothing. Cause you could, you could look at, um, other cultures and the types of clothing that they wear would be like a dress to me, mm-hmm. but it's just comfortable. So they wear it. Yeah. And the, but it would look, you know, f- you know, with quotes feminine, um, that doesn't mean it is. It's just our, our construct of what gender is. Right. Um, kind of dictates, are you a boy or a girl? And um, I think that 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 misunderstanding of what gender is and what sex is as far as being male or female 
um, is really more the root of the problem and uh, gender identity issues. Although I could be wrong. Like, I mean, if, you f if you're a guy and you feel like a woman, then um, that's kind of a big subject that I'm trying to tackle just to make a small point. So, like, the, the, point, the point that I'm trying to make um, is that it, if you look at the role of men and women when it comes to leadership, there shouldn't be a discrimination on who's allowed to participate based on sex because gender-wise, there's no difference in the capability as far as like what the spirit is capable of. Right. So that's my point. Right. But I think it also, and, and that's how it should be. I also think that, but I think it, it comes from, I think how society defines what a leader or who a leader should look like. Um, and so I think stereotypically you have a leader who's able to make really hard decisions um, with, you know, a very calm demeanor and with strength and, um, you know, it, he's kind of removed, he or she could be removed from their emotions. And I think that is stereotypically considered a male way to handle things, whereas women have been stereotyped as being very emotional. And so you know, if we have to make hard decisions, we're like this emotional mess, I guess, when you're doing mm -hmm. things. And that's actually an extreme example. But I think that's kind of where the stereotypes have brought us. And so this ideal form of leadership is this, you know, strong, calm nature. Um, stoicism. Stoic yeah, stoicism. And so I think it, it, it's really, it, it also comes down to what does society dis define as leadership? or what, what makes a good leader. And, and I think it tends to side with what we see as stereotypically male strengths or characteristics. Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of the, the weird thing and um, maybe kind of gets back to the, where I was, where I got lost in my thought is that you have uh, gender roles and then you have actual physical what you would call I guess like I'm, I'm just trying to think of the other word if there is one but like sex mm -hmm. sexuality I, I hate using that word because it can get misconstrued mm. and it might even be offensive to some people but I'm not talking about sex I'm talking about the human <laughs> condition of being a, a male or a female the anatomy of a person the anatomy oh okay. yeah there you go anatomy thank mm -hmm. you <laughs> so um so the anatomy of a person, if you're a male or a female, to varying degrees, but overwhelmingly so, if you're a male, you're going to have more testosterone. Right. And if you're a female, you're going to have more estrogen. Right. And those chemical differences do cause different um, reactions um, in our physiology. So, like, with um, with how we approach situations, how much, you know, uh, physical like muscle we can build but all those things aside they're they have nothing to do with you know what the kingdom of god looks like because mm -hmm. it's above those ideas right and and so um 
I, I think the idea of a spiritual leader and now let's let's say um I have a gang and we're ready to go into a big fist fight and I got it's gonna be um I'm gonna choose five guys and they're gonna choose five and not even guys. We're both gonna choose five people from a pool of candidates, right? Mm-hmm. If I have like four strong-looking guys and one uh, woman that looks stronger than the rest of the guys, those are the the five I'm gonna pick. Right. But th- for that woman to come into the picture, it'd be more rare. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so I think in the natural world, there's a certain amount of thinking about like survival and this kind of that kind of leadership like and even even the person that i'm going to choose i'm probably going to choose the strongest guy to go fight this group Mm -hmm. but it goes into like what paul said right like we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but against principalities and powers Mm -hmm. right so what's the use of um keeping ourselves um set in a way that um allows the um the evil that's in the world and i think i even made this point in um when in women in the bible was that once upon a time when it was just the natural world there were certain roles that women played better and that men played better because we were fighting to survive mm-hmm. and the the advances that we've made in technology and and culture and understanding um, from the development of shelter to the development of uh, things like farming, agriculture, and the spiritual development of who Jesus is um, and God coming to earth and then issuing forth the Holy Spirit to everyone has kind of, um, not kind of, but I think totally eradicated the need for us to view leadership as something that's a phys- about physical dominance over an enemy. Right. Right. And so I think, but I think that there's still some hard wiring in people and there's tradition carrying it all the way to today that, you know, the guy up front can lead us, but the woman up front, how are we going to lead her as she leads us? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like this, like, Oh man, is she really going to protect us? It's like, well, no, she's not. But neither is that guy because the the actual power that you're fighting can only be won over by God, mm-hmm. right? And um but I think that th- that's also the thing. It's like, well, it's a spiritual battle and um the destruction of gender roles is something uh that's infiltrating the church and they see and so some people see that as the battle itself. Mm-hmm. Um so how do we get past that? Again, I think uh, what I've mentioned before, I think it comes down to familiarity and comfort levels for people because women haven't been in this role or have been accepted into this role for so long. Um, But now that we are entering into it, like you said, people are still hardwired into thinking in a certain way. So when they see a woman at the pulpit or if they see a a woman lead pastor, it's a very unfamiliar territory and they should be seeing it like you're saying in the spirit by someone who has been called by God but because we're so hardwired into seeing our gender roles 
that's what we kind of get stuck into. And so we see the woman up there as being this emotional person. And yes, that there's a benefit to it because she's more empathetic and she's going to, you know, empathize with what's going on in your life and she'll be able to give you what wisdom and, and whatnot. But um, that stereotype of looking at her as a little bit maybe weaker and not as strong as a male person would you know, carry you forth. I think that's kind of a, a mindset that we still need to break. Um, but yeah, I, I think it also, yes, yeah, so I think it comes down to becoming comfortable and familiar with women being in that position. Because I've, you know, I even had a classmate who talked about the fact that, she, you know, when she sees a woman up there in the pulpit, she's, there's this discomfort that she feels. Mm-hmm. Because she's just not used to it. And that's somebody at seminary. Mm-hmm. She and she's actually studying pastor? to become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or at least she's getting her MDiv. And so it's, it's interesting because like we have this mindset that we don't even think about that we have until we're actually faced with it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but again, I, this is again very unfamiliar to me because I've always been in a place where I've always been encouraged to go forth and not held back. So what did you think about the video that I sent you with, um, so there's a video on Facebook right now. It's a group of male pastors. I think they were all pastors, or at least men in the church, um, if I could remember correctly. And they are reading the comments that men have made towards women who are either pastors or I think the they were women pastors, yes. and um, and the men hadn't had a chance to read these comments first, um, so they're just like reading them and giving their feedback on the spot. And some of the comments that were made were um, the ones that I found, the two that I found most convicting probably um, were because it reminded me of a conversation that we had had earlier in the week, is where my my own preference is to hear a deeper voice, right? So like it, it has less to do with like, um, like, oh, well, it's a woman and I can't listen to her. I can't take her seriously, but it's just, um, she doesn't hit the lower notes, which I just prefer to listen to. So like, um, and, and I use the example, if it was a guy with a higher voice, I would probably still also be like, and, but, Ultimately, it comes down to teaching. Um, like I said in the conversation, um, you know, Karen, and uh, there's another uh, a female in ministry at our church at Lindsay that I I love um, when they go up there because they carry themselves so well. You know, it's not about whether they're male or female. They're just there presenting the word of God with the knowledge and conviction. Mm-hmm. And that means more to me than the the pitch of their voice. Right. Al- although like, um, you know, the soothingness of a, of a deeper voice is, you know, pr- just more like even the music I listen to, there's, I listen to less female vocals. So it has more to do with audio reception <laughs> right. for me. But, but in the video, they talk about how, um, y- like they just couldn't take a girl seriously Mm-hmm. And uh, um, because and it had something something to do with the voice, right? The male voice was, I guess, more, more powerful, more commanding, more commanding. Yeah, right. and I don't care about the commandingness of it. I've had plenty of women yell at me in the army that 
commanded me somewhere, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but um, there, there is. Uh, so that was a little bit convicting, but also convicting was the idea that, um, and you know, the guys in the video are like, I can't believe anybody would ever say anything. And I mm-hmm. guarantee each one of them have had some thought to that effect, but <laughs> that's, that's maybe that's a little judgmental. Um, but I, I think when you're on the spot in front of a camera, you're going to say that's, that's shameful and it is shameful mm-hmm. and they're right for saying that. Um, but whether or not they ever had a thought uh, where they sexualized somebody, mm. I think um, maybe they don't normally. But if you're true to your subconscious, you, you probably have. Yeah, so the commandingness issue isn't that much of a problem. But I think, like, you know, if you're going to be honest with yourself, when you find somebody attractive, um, then you're going to be distracted by it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, there there's some of the comments were like overtly like sexual mm-hmm. like i picture you naked yeah and, uh, yeah that was a little extreme even for me but truly if if uh somebody is attractive to me up there then i'm gonna be thinking about like uh you know maybe not thinking about anything but just being like distracted by like noticing their face mm-hmm. versus like th- uh hearing the the words mm-hmm. right and um, I think that's an unfortunate thing for men because from what I understand, um, and, and maybe I'm wrong about and maybe science has proved me wrong about this already, but um, that we're more visual in our stimulation. Mm. That's, what I, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard also. Yeah, so I don't know how true that is. I'm pretty sure there's some truth to it. Um, or else the, um, the industry, the sex industry would be a lot less geared towards men even though i'm sure there's plenty of women who are um attracted by sight to things mm-hmm. um well i mean one of the comments i think i read in the article too is about a woman telling the female pastor that oh all i could see was your hair or something like that because oh. i think she had done her hair in a like a big way or i i can't remember the specific comment but she had commented on her hair um and i actually remember back at my uh, previous church being told like when we're up at the pulpit make sure that you aren't too flashy Mm. or um wearing something too um that would catch the eye more or even your nails like Mm. make sure you're not painting your nails with like this is like really bright color because it's going to distract people so I, i think there and i think this is actually applicable to both men and women it's not just about women although we tend to you know i guess dress up dress up more because men you know you guys can rely just on the suit and and it's usually a very nice muted color or, or whatnot just jeans and a t-shirt or even a jeans that's yeah. right it yeah. depends yeah. on Standards which denomination you're in <laughs> 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 but i think for women so it, it's 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 something to do with that we also have a visual attention too we, we're looking at um oh yeah she has nice hair or she oh that's a beautiful necklace or oh that's a really nice dress yeah we're all we're gonna catch attention to those things but um what we should be focusing on though is the message in itself Mm. um but i did kind of i i was actually wondering this question came into my mind as after i had uh you know watched the video and read through the article you know my thought was i wonder what these male pastors have heard what comments have they received from women in their congregation maybe making those similar type 
comments. Mm. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder if they've received something like that. Although I'm sure some haven't because one pastor had mentioned like, well, if you're not going to say this to a male pastor, then don't say it at all. Yeah. So it kind of does show that there is maybe more, I hate to say this, maybe more reverence for a male being in, being a pastor. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm just wondering, you know, how many women out there have maybe thought those similar thoughts but just never expressed it or or like like saw a guy up there and they're like oh, oh he's kind of hot yeah you yeah. know like i'm, I'm kind of wondering i think it's both both sides you know well, i think there's something too though about how comfortable um well before the me too movement how comfortable like men felt complimenting women on their physical appearance mm. um i i don't think that women did that to men as often and they they still don't mm-hmm. um because i can count the number of times on one hand that a woman randomly has come up to him and been like hey gorgeous or like wow you have such well i do get like you have such beautiful eyes and eyelashes yeah yeah a lot i get that one a lot but um the one that i never got until maybe only a couple of years ago i was at a hardware store and this girl out of nowhere put her hand on my like like around my neck area kind of between my neck and my shoulder and just ran her finger down my back and i i turned around and i looked at her and she's like oh my gosh i'm sorry i i don't know why i did that and i was like <laughs> i'm not that okay i i'm not that attractive right like you're just weird no <laughs> i didn't say that to her but no i was just like oh it's no big deal but it was super uncomfortable right yeah and um I think that hap- I think you could probably count the number of times something like that has happened on to you on your 20 hands <laughs> <laughs> or you know those comments being made or maybe not somebody going so far as to actually touch you but um yeah I think for women that's just happening all the time so uh that doesn't I'm I'm not trying to justify it in any way mm-hmm. but maybe just to explain even that there would be a difference between uh women sitting in the the congregation and viewing an attractive male pastor and not saying anything versus you know a guy sees an attractive female pastor and he feels compelled to say something because that's just the way it is right you know like Mm -hmm. so how do you break down that kind of social norm um I, i think the me too movement goes a long way in helping people to see how i think i think it overextends its reach sometimes but i Mm. think it's super necessary for understanding how very little you have to do to actually harass somebody Mm -hmm. in a sexual way right um because just that girl doing that thing to my neck that was sexual harassment you know like i didn't mind because it's the first time it ever happened and it was more bewildering to me Mm -hmm. but you know i i also at the same time like if it happened all the time i'd be like get your hand off me right so, but anyway, yeah, I, I would have feel uncomfortable after a while anyway. So I don't know how you deal with that. But um, one other thing I wanted to talk about before we finish. And um, that, although I do encourage everybody to watch that video mm-hmm. um, to kind of see how the other side, um, what they deal with. It kind of reminds me of a serious version of the, um, that um, SNL skit, Welcome to Hell. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's pretty funny, but it's also kind of sad and scary. It was like when the Me Too movement was first taking off, and it's the girls from the SNL cast talking about, like, uh, 
how um, if we're, you know, men are starting to get worried about uh, what they say and what they do and how they act or whatever. And they're like, um, or, or, or finally realizing like, oh, it's horrible that women can't walk out in dark and mm-hmm. um, these days. And they're like, you know, it's been like that all the time, <laughs> like for our whole lives. Yeah. We've been, you know, living in that kind of fear. And uh, they make a, a bit of a joke out of it, even though it's still pretty serious. It's 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 funny to watch, but it's also kind of unnerving at the same time. Mm. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about. So I would recommend watching both. But if you want the serious side, watch the Methodist video. If you want the funny side, watch SNL. <laughs> um, but what I actually wanted to talk about was um, in the Women in the Bible class, um, I think we do need to get at kind of the heart of what how people defend the idea of why we shouldn't allow women in ministry um, through scripture. And uh, so it's going to get a little more technical, but because um, I think right now I've been kind of, we've been talking about like emotional experiences and like, you know, from mine and your perspective and trying to relate um, what's gone on in you know, um, through, and maybe is it anthropologically, like you know how human cultures have changed, and and sociologically, and like what the condition we're in now, and uh, how people behave. But um, I think in the church, it's also fundamentally important to look at like what the scripture actually says and what people base it on. And there's this really good book by I believe is it, it's the last name's Kroger. Yes. But I can't remember that Richard or Paul Kroger. I can't remember their first names either. <laughs> okay. Well, the Kroger is the last name, K-R-O-E-G-E-R. And the book is called What Paul Really Said About Women. And I haven't read it in over a year. So I'm not going to be too good at um, the argument. Um, but the idea being that in Timothy, Paul says, um, well, is it is First Timothy... As well as areas in Corinthians, is that correct? Yes. That talk about not allowing one women to speak in church, and two, uh, not to live women have authority. Right. Um, do you, do you, it looks like you pulled it up on your yeah. Phone. So, First um, Timothy, chapter two. Yeah, I guess you could start with the verse eleven. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. Yeah, and so that particular verse, I think, is really the most crucial one to keep women and sub subject to the, a man a man's authority mm-hmm. right so that that particular verse i think carries most of the weight of the entire argument because corinthians you can kind of talk about um the the difference in culture um that what paul is specifically talking about is that women weren't really allowed in the synagogue and so he's like trying to help them discover how we all behave inside of it mm-hmm. you know um, keep keep your head covered um, because you want to have some form of modesty and and it's a social thing where women 
who don't keep their head covered in our in their society were prostitutes and you don't want to look like a prostitute in church <laughs> like it's mm. kind of like okay well so and and um and something about praying too right i think is in first corinthians um so those things can kind of all be kind of readily observed as being social standards that are just as um, unnecessary now as boys not allowed, men not allowed, being allowed to grow their hair long anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, that basically died in the 60s. <laughs> right. They were yeah. dealing with like the Roman culture that was actually more super conservative with women. Hmm. And so that's why the whole head covering, because in Roman culture, I get, uh, from what I learned was that, you know, they really did just stay at home. Unless yeah. they were like a little bit more influential, then they would go out with their husbands. And so, but there was such a conservative stance with the Roman culture. That's why the Christian culture had to at least still keep up with some of that standard to kind of help still influence the Roman culture into Christianity, I think. Yeah. And, and Christian people, um, whether you like it or not, are supposed to at least scripturally behave in a way as to not even give people the impression that you do evil things Mm -hmm. that's that's really a christian standard that i think is kind of lost which um i would have to get into like my whole righteousness spiel again (laughs) but um and i certainly am not like you know the the best person to point the finger and say you need to be more righteous but (laughs) because i i i need to work on it um but the that is a standard, but more importantly, First Timothy is more explicit, right? It's right. more, it's far more direct, and um, it's a lot harder to like dismiss as a cultural thing. You can, I think, there's two arguments that really help us. Well, actually, three arguments, and I'll present all three of them. But in between each one, maybe we could discuss a little bit because we're starting to run long. Um, for, first, um that certain biblical commands are no longer relevant, not because society has changed, but because the church is an evolving community where, um, so it's not just about this like Levitical or law in Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch that has been dismissed by Jesus because, okay, well, that's in the New Testament, right? But then, um, but the the church as a community that evolves um, has also dismissed other things that are commanded even by Jesus. And um, the great example of that um, was you have um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talking about um, when is it okay to divorce your wife? Mm-hmm. Um well, according to Mark, never. Mm-hmm. And this is Jesus answering, mm-hmm. never. And then Matthew, and, and Jesus is like, it's been permitted by Moses because you are you have hard hearts. Mm-hmm. And Matthew, Jesus says, never. Well, except in the case of adultery. Mm-hmm. right? And I believe Luke follows suit with the idea of adultery, although I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing what the synoptic gospels are and how they influenced each other is also really important that I don't have time to get into. But even at that time, there were two schools of thought about in, in, in Israel 
about when can you get a divorce. One was um, for anything. If mm -hmm. she burns your bread or if your wife uh, does says something wrong, mm -hmm. you just get a divorce. And then there was a second school of thought that said you can only get a divorce if it's adultery. Mm -hmm. And that was the more strict side, right? Right. So um, now, nowadays, even though I think some churches would tend to, and I've heard differences of, of opinion on this, and I think the first time I heard it, I was very surprised that I heard a difference of opinion. But coming to today, when you have that same discussion, when, when, when is divorce permissible? Mm -hmm. Well, you would say, well, adultery, mm -hmm. right? Because Jesus said it. Um, some people would be like, well, if you're unhappy in the marriage, well, that's not really accepted too much by the Christian community, but it is a reason. And then the, but the one that most people are agreed on is that, you know, in cases of physical and domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're getting beat almost to death by your husband or vice versa, you never know, then People in church will understand if you get divorced and they're not going to look at you and go like, oh, you, you shouldn't have got divorced. You're just doing it for your own selfish pleasure. You know, because mm -hmm. the church has evolved to understand that women aren't property because mm -hmm. back in that time when the Bible was being written, it's not mentioned because at that time women were uh, considered property. Right. Um, which is, so that makes Paul's other words about neither male nor female uh, revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, but, so have you ever heard that before? Like, what are your thoughts about that idea? You're, so you're talking about the, our biblical standards evolving over time? Yes. I actually hadn't really heard about that um, until recently taking the women in the Bible, Bible class. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with me growing up in a, I attended a Christian school and they taught, you know, from the fundamental viewpoint, um, because they leaned more towards the Baptist tradition or Southern Baptist tradition. Um, and so, yeah, we, we were, I was always supposed to just kind of take the Bible literally or, or symbolically too, but it was just definitely more of a literal trans, uh, literal acceptance. Um, but I, I, I do kind of feel like you do need to look at, you know, the spirit of it. Um, and so when you have a situation when a woman is, you know, being beaten and to the point where her life is in danger, then yeah, I, I, I would imagine that God would want her to continue to live and to be in a safe place. That would be his desire for her. I believe that's what the spirit would want. Um, I think they could give some room to like repentance, but most of those kind of situations there's not a repentant person that's beating the other person they're they're just maybe wired that way or maybe they're not actually happy with the relationship so they're taking it out on the other person right so. and there could be a trauma that they're they haven't dealt with that that's why you know maybe they grew up seeing their father beat their mother all the time and so yeah. they just th think that that's a normal way to you know have a relationship but um so yeah if you're able to help that person walk out that healing process and then for them to also come to a place of repentance then yeah i think you can salvage that relationship yeah maybe um, do that kind of counseling under separation you mm -hmm. know like there maybe don't get the divorce right away try to go through counseling during a separation period and then but if there's no repentance then, then you, you you're yeah. you're stuck in a rock and a hard place yeah 
And so um, the other argument for that particular passage that I think is um, also very, very important is, well, and it actually chains together with the other one is that there was, there's like a cultural um, difference. So to just get to the third argument, because maybe I lost what the second one was, um, is that if you, if you actually look more with the academic viewpoint of the Bible and allow um, Paul to speak for himself, it's very possible that the words there in that section are not Paul speaking at all. <laughs> and I think that's one of the most important um, things to consider actually with that particular passage because through the through the through studying, um, now this is something that's spoken about in the book that I mentioned before, um, is that you, you actually, you can, if I were to write a letter or if you were to listen to this podcast, you would eventually pick up, um, the manner of speaking, like the way that I speak, the words that I choose, the way that I put it together. And so it's the same thing with Paul and with anyone is that you can look at his letters and see a consistency in the style of his writing. And for him to just jump from what he was talking about prior to that particular section, um, one, it doesn't really fit the the pattern of what he was talking about. And this would be for First Corinthians, I think. Is that for First Corinthians? Yes. No, I think it's for First Timothy as well. No, I, I we when we covered that arg not argument, but that opinion that was based on the first the the Corinthians chapter the Corinthians portion. I have to look that up because I was pretty sure that like first Timothy also, because he was talking about the spiritual gifts more in yeah. that section. And then all of a sudden you had this reference oh, to yeah, women. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the one that felt really out of place. Whereas first Timothy was actually more regards to a possible mistranslation. Oh, possible mistranslation. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> it's been like two years since i read the book yeah <laughs> um so what would the mistranslation be since you're more up on it yeah um so the first timothy uh when you're looking at these words he's talking about you know i permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man she has to keep silent and then he goes on to talk about adam being formed first and then eve uh, and Adam was not deceived. And so if you look at, there's a possible mistranslation of the Greek words, but what you're really looking at also is, you know, what Paul is trying to address here is actually um, a heretical teaching that was going on at that time, mm. that the apparently the women were being taught by these heretical teachers that Eve was actually, I guess, formed first. Mm. that she was actually the first human. Um, and so Paul was actually trying to address the fact that, you know, these women who have been taught this wrong teaching shouldn't be teaching this. It wasn't necessarily to specifically say women shouldn't teach. It was just, no, stop teaching these lies. This is not the truth. Mm. Um, and so I think he was just trying to clear that up. But then over time, it's just been taken as, oh, no, women shouldn't teach in general. Yeah. But it was actually more to address this heretical teaching that was going on at the time. Right. So, um, yeah, I think there's actually even more to it than that. 
Right, uh, which I don't remember. I would totally recommend reading the Kroger book too. So there would be wisdom in researching the ideas I want to talk about on this show going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because there's actually just there was really interesting, um, and I, I wish I wish I could remember it offhand, but um, but Kroger definitely goes into the specific translations of each of these words, yeah. um, and and it was really super interesting, and and it definitely. Their argument definitely won me over to realizing, you know, maybe there is this context that we missed when we translated this portion. Yeah, so. and I, I think that happens a lot in translation, um, even even in uh, more more obviously blatant uh, misapplications of what words are. Like uh, you have things like uh, like how we translate the ideas of like the leviathan and the behemoths and back those are like the jewish words mm. then we translate them into like great sea monsters or like mighty ox or whatever but we don't know what they actually were and then in the king james this is like one you know always a favorite one is uh you have unicorns in the mm. bible <laughs> the that you know salvation comes through the horn of the unicorn or something like that mm. no it's about it's the it's the um it's the crucifixion psalm, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's really weird, and it's uh. I think I think that's the one anyway. Um. So, but yeah, so like that, but that's more more of a ridiculous um thing to see because it's obvious. But if those things are happening in like the these overt ways, it's also happening in the subcontext of how people are influenced theologically to come up with um, translations. So, right. yeah, so, like, people believed in unicorns in King James' day. Mm-hmm. Like, they believed that they could be out there. And if the Bible is talking about this creature that we don't really understand, it's probably a unicorn mm-hmm. if it has a horn, you know. So it's just weird little things like that that come up. Um, and uh, when it comes to many other things uh, that we'll talk about and coming episodes um when i'm looking forward to talking more um about open theism because i haven't really touched that topic specifically and i also wanted to get into like covenantal um not theology but like what what is covenant Mm. and um several other ideas like music and why is it so bad in christian contemporary music Mm. well well why do why is it so bad and why do so many Christians think it's good? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not. Hmm. Um, well, no, I mean, I guess I just like really weird music and just so much of it is, but it has, I know it has something to do with um, familiarity and chord progression because there's like a science to what sells in popular music. Right. And in, and yeah. you do have a lot of people who enjoy the music and so well they enjoy the familiarity mm-hmm. like they're being sold a product you know and and like there's some there there is something enjoyable in having that's like a comfort food you know mm-hmm. it's like it's if you make it right and the right way even if it tastes like the one down the street you're gonna like it mm-hmm. you're not looking for the variety you're just looking for a nice meal and the same thing goes with um music uh not for me <laughs> right you you definitely have different. more of a range yeah yeah so i want to talk about that um but you know for women in ministry 
I don't know if there's like a closing thought and I think I really poorly represented so many of the ideas but I I just want to say thank you to Megan for clarifying some things for me and presenting her own um, perspective on it and um, I hope that the idea that women can't be in ministry um, and those those arguments that are made that even if they um, seem to agree with my own shortcomings, I hope that more people see that those those issues that anybody would have with a woman being in leadership, it's a shortcoming, not a good and um, spiritual way to um, look at the body of Christ and who uh, and who can minister and who can be a pastor. Um, and I'm sure we'll get there one day. I think we will, because I mean, I'm definitely someone who has, you know, grown up being encouraged to be a leader and to do what I want to do. Like, I've never felt like I had a wall stopping me because of my parents and uh, the other leaders that I've met along the way. And so I think our hopefully as each generation goes, there'll be less and less um, uh What's the right word that I'm looking for? Um, restrictions or walls for women as we go along, because we're going. Each generation is going to continue to hopefully, you know, go towards the truth, which is that there is, you know, no Jew, no Gentile, no male or female mm-hmm. in Christ. We're all equal and we're all free. We're all born of the Spirit. Right. And um, so that's why we can't have AI as pastors. <laughs> but maybe. No, I'm just. Kidding. No. Oh I don't boy. Want, I know, that'd be weird. <laughs> That's the mark of the beast right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, anyway, uh, thanks again, Megan. And uh, uh, thank th- you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me on the show. It was a great time. Yeah, it was fun. So um, until next time, everybody have a great week or day or uh, have a great life. <laughs> Bye. Thanks again for listening to The Theology Box. I want to thank my co-host, Mark Miller, as well as our music producer, Richard Liato, our artist, Phoebe Sugo at sugo.studios on Instagram, and Megan Napier, who manages our Facebook, where you can reach us directly. Again, this is your host, William Carroll. Uh, Thanks, and may the peace of the Lord be with you.